Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kichanu b'mitzvotah betzibanu la'asok bedivrei Torah, veharevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, befinu ufi amcha beit Yisrael, veniya naknu vetza etza enu, vetza etza e, amcha beit Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka velomde Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai, Hamlamet Torah Leamo Yisrael. Amen. Yes, that is correct. That is the new bracha for the year. And going forward with the help of Hashem, welcome to 5780. This is my first podcast. We're right out the gate. Wonderful two days of Rosh Hashanah and a very meaningful fast and a successful fast. Thank you, Hashem, on Zom Gedalia. So that was very, very enlightening. Uh, many people don't know about Zom Gedalia, and some people do. Some people fast for that day, and some people don't. And it's really um, split across the board, and that's totally fine, because whether or not you're fasting, uh, somebody is. And, and uh, best right Hashem, all of us are uh, heeding the message, which I will just share a little bit. But before I get into that, I just want to... Uh, pray that everyone is inscribed and sealed for a good year, and may we all be inscribed in the book of life, and may your year be as sweet as the apples and honey that we dipped on Rosh Hashanah. These are the 10 days of awe that we're currently in right now, and again, I said this is my first podcast of 5780, so I'm super excited. And more than ever, Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai, may we see the final redemption this year. And if not, then let's avenge the world like nobody's business. You know what I'm saying? All right, come on. So anyway, uh, this new bracha was uh, shouted out by my kala and a friend of hers. Uh, and they were both talking about the different blessings. Because the normal one that I sing on every single podcast I've done so far is the blessing before reading the Torah. So I pretty much do Torah readings during the podcast which is totally cool, but more so than anything, all of my podcasts are really about Lamed Torah, which is really studying the Torah, teaching the Torah, and doing it for its own sake, which is Lishma. So this bracha that I got to recite today, and Bezrat Hashem on future podcasts, I will be now doing that. Thanks to uh, fellow Mishpaka who are always there to sharpen us up so Baruch Hashem. so that's where that bracha comes from just a little bit more on that because this is from the arch scroll siddur it says i stated explicitly in the talmudic selection elu devarim which is at the conclusion of these blessings elu devarim which is these are the precepts and notice it uses the word devarim devarim is another way you can pronounce it <clears throat> and this is really the book of Deuteronomy, right? So Devarim, where it's a restating of the Torah. It's really the Torah, um, the mini Torah, if you will, as I've been talking about. And as the Kehot Humash has brought down, this is Sefer Teshuva, the book of Teshuva. So when you talk about precepts, when you talk about the words of God, it's all about returning to Hashem. So if you really want to do Teshuva, then you would find yourself not only studying the words of Hashem, but emulating the words of Hashem. The only way to emulate the words of Hashem is to eat the words of Hashem, which is why the word devarim can be vowelized as devorim, which is the word for bees. And where do we get from bees? We get honey, right? So if you extract the word, it should be sweet like honey. If it's not, then check your heart. Uh, return to Yeshua and then start over. Okay. And then once you do that, then that sweetness will come into your body and you are what you eat. Right. So sweet words should come forth from you. Sweet words should emanate from your actions. So anyway, uh, continuing on with this comment here, it says the study of the Torah is the paramount mitzvah. Without it, man cannot know God's will. With it, he can penetrate the wisdom of the creator himself. This is why uh, Shaul Hashliach would write in one of his letters that we have been given the mind of Mashiach, 
the mind of Hashem. Because Mashiach's mind is Hashem's mind. If we think anything different, then again, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua, and start over. Okay, anyway, uh, it goes on to say, each part of the blessings expresses a different idea. The first one is Asher Kishanu, which is who sanctifies us. And then it says it applies to the commandments. So the commandments are sanctification. So yes, if we go to the Romans passage, which I was not planning to do, but now we're going to. So if you'll give me a moment on this, because this is uh, very, very vital. So we've been sanctified, glorified, where is that? Justified, all that goodness. I know it's in Romans somewhere. All right. Um, see, justified, sanctified. Stand by. Yep, here we go. It's Romans 8.30. So the Agedit to Rome. Letter to Rome 8.30. You ready for this? And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Moving on, it uh, goes on to say, uh, what then shall we say in response to these things of God is for us? Who can be against us? So this whole section here about being declared righteous, free from guilt, and all of the process here of justification, sanctification, glorification, that's all coming through our mitzvot, you know. So obviously it starts with, you know, we have to be called by Hashem first, you know. Uh, he's already chosen us. So uh, as we go back to verse 29, it says, for those God foreknew, like he knew already. He's already selected. He's already chosen, just like Yisrael. He's already chosen Yisrael. Now, the thing is, many people can become a part of Yisrael. Lots of times, people become a part of Yisrael and Bezrat Hashem, they stay. Lots of times, people come and then they stray and they leave. They, they go away. Bezrat Hashem, they will come back. But usually, that's not the case, unfortunately. So when you really look at this predestination and what's the what are we coming to? It's really to Judaism, it's to Torah. Torah true. And Judaism is not really a religion as much as it is a way of life. Just like Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what's he really saying? You know, and when you look at the rest of this verse in uh, chapter 8, verse 29, and the Agarit to the Romans. It says that we are conformed to the image of his son. Remember, who is Hashem's son? Yisrael. But we also know Hashem's son is Mashiach. And why is the answer yes, the son is Israel and the son is Mashiach? Because Israel altogether equals Mashiach because Mashiach is a body of many members. And as I've said in previous podcasts, he's also a body of many tribes. This is why there's 12 tribes. They're all found in Israel, which is the place of Hashem, which is Mashiach. So all 12 tribes are a part of the name of Hashem, which just so happens to arrange itself in 12 different arrangements. This is why Mashiach chose 12 different Tal Talmudim to be with him. So him being the 13th person to this entity, which is Echad, it is Mashiach and his Talmudim, just like it is Hashem and his Mashiach. So everything is connected here. And so we're brought into that. So any other thing, you're not really connected. So you might want to stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua and start from there. Okay. Other thing too about this. This justification um, process, this comes through the Akedah. Because remember, we find our, our atonement, our security, and the one who was bound with the Shem. You know, if you look at the Akedah service, it just so happens I have my Sador here. 
And this is what it says. It says the Akedah is the story of the most difficult challenge to Abraham's faith in Hashem. He was commanded to sacrifice Yitzhak, his beloved son, which, by the way, is only begotten son. Ben Yahid is the Hebrew of that. No other like him. So you can't just say, oh, go sacrifice Ishmael because Ishmael didn't look like Abraham. And Ishmael was not technically Abraham's son because he wasn't the son of Sarah. So there's something. But anyway, uh, obviously he was Abraham's son because Hashem said, because you're Abraham's son, I'm going to make you a great nation. That's what he told Ishmael's mother. We learned that on Rosh Hashanah. But the point is you're supposed to be in covenant and it's only through Abraham and Sarah, which is Yitzhak and then Yitzhak and Rivka, which excludes, uh, well, no, it doesn't exclude Asaph. Asaph has the opportunity to come in. That's why we have Obadiah. But anyway, then it's through Yaakov because Asaph was like, whatever, I'll get rid of my firstborn rights. Yaakov, you take over. So now it's on Yaakov. And specifically, it's through the sons of Yaakov, which sons of Yaakov are Jews. Okay. Anyway, so it says father and son jointly demonstrated their total devotion. When else have we seen that? Oh, the crucifixion. Father and son jointly demonstrated total devotion. Okay, that's cool. Upon which God ordered Abraham to release Yitzhak, the Kabbalistic masters from Zohar to Arizal have stressed the great importance of the daily recitation of the Akira. So here's the thing, when you get Kabbalistic about it, you, it is like, mm, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to force you to say this every day, but I'm just going to really suggest with a whole lot of underlines and highlights and fingers pointing right here, please read this every single day. Please observe this every single day. Please meditate on this and think about this every single day. Just saying, that's pretty crazy that from the Zohar to the Arizal, that's the case. Because it says in response to their writings, the Akedah has been incorporated into the great majority of Sidurim, although it is not recited in all congregations. So here we go again. Judaism is not monolithic. Just because we should and it's a good idea to, and it's really uh, stressed and emphasized. Not everybody does it. So another halakhic point just to keep in your back pocket. If you ever feel like, oh, man, we're not following halakha. Oh, man, we're not keeping this mean hog. Oh, man, we're not doing this. And we should be. Shulkan Aruch says this. Mishneh Torah says this. Well, guess what? Not everybody is going to follow that. So this is why you need a bait dean, because you have to be accountable to leaders who are accountable to Hashem. You can't have a rogue bait dean. You can't have somebody who's a digital image on your screen, whether it's your phone or your tablet or your computer or what else device you have. You know, got to have a real bait dean. People who see you, people who know you, people who bring down uh, halakhic legitimate rulings not people who are just going crazy and saying you follow me or else okay everything has to get sourced out so it says in some congregations it is recited individually rather than as a part of the public morning service which is called shakarit the zohar records that this recitation of abraham and yitzhak's readiness to put love of god ahead of life itself i.e. you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your resources. That denotes self-sacrifice. This is why the Shema is the greatest commandment, because there's no greater love than this than one who would lay down their life, i.e. the Shema. All right, so it goes on to say, a source of heavenly mercy whenever Jewish lives are threatened. Okay, so... The Zohar records that this recitation of Abraham and Yitzhak's readiness to put love of God ahead of life itself is a source of heavenly mercy whenever our lives are threatened. So that's that's crazy. That's a lot. Avodat HaKodesh comments, the Akedah should inspire us towards greater love of God by following the example of Abraham and Yitzhak. 
This is why it's not a good idea as a believer to say, man, I love God so much, but I don't want to do anything that the Bible says. Because that kind of happens. Because Genesis through Malachi somehow gets way overlooked. And it's like, yeah, anything in Matthew through Revelation, I'm cool. And it's just like, well, all the other stuff you need to pay attention to as well. All right. Anyway, because other than that, you would be proverbially taking yourself down off the crucifixion stake if you have such mentality. And last time I recall, Mashiach stayed up there. So there's that because it's greater love of God. It's a self-sacrifice. It's not what I want to do. It's what he wants me to do, which, by the way, while I'm talking about this is the essence of the 10 days. The days of all the Yamim Norim, the Aseret, uh, Yamim Shuva, the 10 days of Teshuva. There are like so many different ways to call this time frame from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. These are 10 days on the calendar every single year that Hashem graciously grants us to where he comes super close to us without touching us. <laughs> Just kidding. You know how the, your uh, siblings would be like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And their fingers like right there in your face. You want to like, grab their finger and break it, but you don't because you'll get in trouble. But anyway, you get super annoyed. However, with Hashem, we should be really excited that he's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Because really, if he touches us, you know, we get our deserved judgment because I don't know about you, but I know there's a lot of stuff that I've done that I have not lived up to, to the standard I have uh, slandered God's name. You know, I've done so many things, whether accidental or willful and things I don't even know about, you know, and it's just kind of like, why? You know, it's just like, I can't believe that such things would happen. And Shem is like, I know that's why I'm giving you the 40 days of Teshuva, Elul to Yom Kippur. And then I'm going to pack inside of that 10 days, which I am super close to you without touching you, that if you just give yourself to this time frame, if you crown me as your king, if you forsake all of your impurities that you've taken up on yourself, if you really go there, strive. And what do I mean by take off those impurities, like cleanse myself of that? Well, as Rabbi Friedman brought down, Manus Friedman, that is a very, very ninja style rabbi. He was saying when we make teshuva, it's not about changing our opinion of who we are because we get into this mode of, I can't believe I did this. I'm horrible. You know, I'm going to be better. And he's like, take note of how you're speaking. It's all self-centered. You're saying I did wrong. I want to do better. You know, there's never any, uh, focal shift. And if there's not a focus shift, then there won't be any change because your sin that you love, you'll still continue to do because you're still focused on yourself. You're saying, I don't want to do that sin. I want to not do that sin. And so since you're still stuck on I and not stuck on he, like the one whom you love, then, you know, your opinion just changes about yourself and you still stay stuck in that channel. And I'm like, wow, like that's that's intense. So really, these 10 days should be all about this self-sacrifice and this avodat Hashem, holy service to Hashem and being able to put the love of God and losing my life ahead of myself. So that's purging me of these things because it's like. Hashem, you are my focus. You are the one who dictates my pleasure, my joy. And I know that's crazy because you're giving up some stuff. So it's like if I want to experience joy, what does Hashem view as joy? If I want to do something to bring myself satisfaction, what does Hashem consider satisfaction? And I operate from there. Because it's all about him. And this is what the Akeda teaches us. And again, this is all justification talk here that I'm basically elucidating, which I didn't plan on doing. But, you know, Brukashem, 5780, let's bring some redemption, shall we? Okay, but anyway, back to the commentary. 
Arizal teaches that the recitation brings atonement to someone who repents sincerely, for he identifies himself with the two patriarchs who place loyalty to God above all other considerations. So yes, just by reading the Akeda, it's a form of atonement, just like offering the sacrifices. All the sacrifices are facets of the Akeda. So if you spend your time, literally, pun intended, wrapped up in the Akeda, you offer all sacrifices. Then you couple that with your Torah study, with your prayer, you got you a compound, like, foot-long, crazy, amazing, super manwich, you know, sandwich. Like a man-sized, for no reason, all this stuff sandwich. Yeah. So the biggest kosher sub sandwich you can have, that's what you make when you put the Akira with your Torah study and your service to Hashem through prayer and pouring yourself out. So anyway, uh, to finish my point though on this Braka, it was saying, because I said, you know, Asher Kishanu is sanctification. So when you're, uh, this is applying to the mitzvot. So when you're doing the mitzvot, you're moving into the next phase of, you know, your redemption. Okay, Hashem has called you, you brought here. He's like, I justified you, I covered you. Okay, you're you're marked now. Okay, you're literally an Akira because you're you know, you're crucified with Mashiach, buried in his death, and you're raised to newness of life in him. So it's all way truth and life stuff. This is all loving Hashem and keeping his commandments. This is all being filled with the spirit and walking by the spirit. That's what all this is about. So once you're on that note. Now you can work out your salvation by this process of sanctification, which is the mitzvot. That's why the 613 are all pathways to Hashem, because 6 plus 1 plus 3 is 10. And 10 is the number of utterances that Hashem spoke forth to bring creation into being. It's also the Ten Commandments. And it's also the ten sephirot that make up the image of Hashem, which are reflected in our makeup. So we are actually made in the image of Hashem. So that means those ten circles known in the tree of life, that is in us. And so that's the ten that get rectified through the mitzvot, which are the ten commandments, which are the spoken utterances of creation. Because if there was no Torah, there would be no creation. And then you got the ten sephirot. You have the three top ones, the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that make up the intellect part of who we are. And then our physical expression, our emotions, our passions, our desires, which come in the rest of them, which is your kindness, your severity, your beauty, your splendor, your victory, your uh, foundation and your kingdom. So all those together, your spiritual and physical being all wrapped up in that. So that's all your sanctification. Moving on to the next one, it says the second one is Veha'arevna, which is sweeten the words, is a prayer. So through your sanctification process, this is why we're told to pray without ceasing, because you must strive for the words of Torah to be sweet to you. You must strive for the words of Torah to be simka for you. If not, you're falling short and you'll burn out. But if the words of Torah are sweet to you and how do you get it to be sweet to you? Well, it's just like eating challah. You start, you know, you dip your challah in salt, unless it's Rosh Hashanah, then you dip it in honey. But you primarily start off dipping it in salt, right? And that's all the covenant, that's all the sacrifices and all that, you know, back to justification and through your sanctification and all that. But you can add honey afterwards as you're partaking of the rest of your challah. Now, it comes to a point where you run out of honey and you need to reach for the honey. At least I do. I don't know about y'all. But I reach for the honey again, put more honey on the plate, and then I continue dipping the rest of my challah, you know, as I'm looking for more challah to uh, put in his honey, which means I'm going to need more honey. 
so yes a lot of honey but anyway that's kind of what it's like you know if you can imagine a met shomer man devouring hala and he's just like i need a little more honey and it's like oh i got more honey i need more hollow you know and so you're kind of going back and forth between like the word of god is sweet and so i'm praying over it and i'm doing it and it's like oh i need more sweetness you know so you're constantly in that process with the shem and then it goes on to say the third thing is asher bachar banu which is who selected us is an expression of thanks for the gift of torah because see that's the thing we have to be thankful which thankfulness which is called gratitude or in hebrew hodaya which is like you know you're admitting to hashem kind of thing his proper due his proper honor his proper position and place this is the essence of teshuva is gratitude no one who doesn't have gratitude they're gonna have if you don't have gratitude it's gonna be hard to make teshuva because first of all if you're bitter you're not gonna want to ask for forgiveness and you're gonna think you're fine you're gonna think you're right you're gonna think you don't need to so there's that another point under this uh commentary for blessing the torah says lishma which is for its own sake says may we study torah for no other reason than to know it and become imbued with its wisdom something that's imbued uh they're like connected to it so if i imbue you know my phone with my thoughts my phone now has my thoughts on it, you know, i.e. I've written notes on my phone or, you know, I text people, I call people. My essence now is placed on that phone. This is what Mashiach was talking about when he was talk when he was praying to himself by speaking to Hashem in the garden. But he was like that I may make them one as you and I are one and I are in them and they're in me and I am in you and you are in me and you are in them. Like this whole like little, uh, I don't know what to call those things, like the egg that's inside of an egg, like the little, I don't know, maybe not an egg thing. I'm thinking of those little dolls that you can open up and there's another one in there. You open that one, there's another one in there. But a more easier way to say it, a stack of cups. There you go. You got the, the measuring cups, like the smaller, like the quarter is inside, the third is inside, the you know, all that. So yeah, work your way up. Anyway, so that's the Lishma concept. And as some aspects of rabbinic theology bring down, they talk about Lishma being for the sake of the one who spoke it. And this is why we should be people of Torah, because we love Hashem. And it's all about for his sake. You know, it's like if you're in love with somebody, you're like, you're pursuing them. You want to do whatever it is to make them happy. You want to do whatever it is to draw closer to them. You want to do so many things that build connection, build relationship with them and build just this uh, camaraderie. So it's the same way that when we do this with Torah, when we do this with the mitzvot, you know, through our studying and our doing, our observing, our thinking through and understanding how to implement these things. We're making ourselves one with Hashem. We're pursuing the way, the truth, and the life, basically. All right, so before I get too far away from my uh, thoughts here, I want to just open up the Yom Kippur Makzor. <clears throat> and I just want to drop from the preface. This is literally page one. It says, the day before Yom Kippur is a mixture of confident joy in God's mercy and forgiveness and penitential preparation for the awesome judgment of Yom Kippur itself. First of all, remember, Rosh Hashanah is called a judgment day and Yom Kippur is also called a judgment day. And it's like we're on court, we're on, uh, we're on trial and... We're in between the, the judgment being rendered and the judgment being sealed. And here we are already saying, you know what? We have confident joy in God's mercy and forgiveness. And we're making penitential preparation for the awesome judgment 
and you're just like, so you think Hashem is going to forgive you and you're going to celebrate like way before we know. And in my head pops the don't celebrate too early concept, you know, where people who are running a race and right before they get to the finish line, they start like lifting up their hands and slowing down and trying to look back and be like, oh, I got this. And then those who've been like really pushing it, they like speed pass. And the person who was in first ends up being in like 16th place. OK, maybe not 16th, but they don't win in first place when they do that. And so there's this understanding, though, that because of our 40 days of Shuva, because of our 10 days of repentance and because of our preparing for Yom Kippur and because our observing of Yom Kippur, we are given the opportunity to have confident joy and God's mercy and forgiveness. And that right there should make us very, very humble because when you receive mercy and forgiveness, you don't just go, ah, oh, yeah, I knew you were going to forgive me. Thank you. I'm out. It's just like, okay. Um, I don't know what to tell that kind of person, but I'm just saying we should be humble. So let's just leave it there. Okay. Anyway, uh, it says the joyful aspect of the day is expressed by the omission of the Takanun and the Avinu Malkainu. Like these prayers that talk about us being horrible sinners and turning our back on Hashem and all this. Like, yeah, we don't do that that day because we're ready to go into Yom Kippur. So when we're in these 10 days, we're like etching into the very fabric of who we are. The penitential prayers and really crowning Hashem as our father and our king, forsaking ourselves and really devoting ourselves to love of God, deep love of God, full of simka, full of sweetness, full of joy. So I, I'm just kind of like, OK, that's that's how we're going to start. And then it goes on to say this. It says, and by the scripturally derived commandment to feast as if it were a festival. So this day, the ninth of Tishrei, basically the day before Yom Kippur, which is also known as Erev Yom Kippur, not to be confused with Erev Yom Kippur, which is the beginning of the fast, which is after candlelighting. But that day itself, this is why Mashiach being crucified on Erev Pesach is a thing, because the 14th of Nisan before candlelighting is also called Erev Pesach. Not to be confused with Erev Pesach, which is the beginning of the Seder, which is the night of the 15th of Nisan. So the 9th of Tishrei will take us from an Erev Yom Kippur into the actual Erev Yom Kippur, which will be the evening of of the 10th of Tishrei, which is the beginning of Yom Kippur. So yeah, if that wasn't confusing, just know the day before a Yom Tov is called that Erev of that Yom Tov. Okay, so the day before Rosh Hashanah, Erev Rosh Hashanah. The day before Shavuot, Erev Shavuot. The day before Shabbat, also known as Prep Day, is called Erev Shabbat. This is why people say Shabbat Shalom on Prep Day. Okay, anyway, so just to throw that out there, hopefully less confused things. Okay, it says, indeed, the sages teach that one who eats on Erev Yom Kippur is rewarded as if this pleasurable mitzvah were as painful and difficult as the fast of Yom Kippur. That's some Shulchan Aruchness right there. Uh, Orach Chaim 604.1 and Mishnah Beruah 1. So I will refrain from going into the rest of this commentary because <laughs> Captain Yisrael has a Yom Kippur video coming out and you definitely want to get you some. Uh, so, yeah, so they only cover three points in the preface, which is cray cray, because now they get into the actual service. But it goes on to say that there are festive meals. That's one point. It's mikvah. That's another point, And seeking forgiveness is another point. So. Let's see, I'll just read the last part of that forgiveness. It says, a fear that one will suffer further harassment if he is too forgiving or if someone has been slandered. A fear that the public will not learn that the accusation was false. So it says, someone who asked for someone who is asked for forgiveness 
should do so without harshness. Not to forgive is cruel. The only justifications for not forgiving are a sincere desire to make the transgressor feel remorse and resolve not to repeat his misdeed. And then it goes on to what I picked up with a fear that one will suffer further harassment if he is too forgiving or if someone has been slandered, a fear that the public will not learn that the accusation was false. Okay. So with that being said, this is why we should definitely approach Yom Kippur with this in mind, because if this is the way for flesh and blood that we don't forgive when the transgressor doesn't feel remorse or when they're not resolved to repeat their misdeed or if they'll suffer further harassment or if the slander will prove to be true instead of being proved to be false because the person was too forgiving. Just like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You just call me a, a glutton and a prostitute, even though you know I don't eat a lot and I definitely ain't moral like that. Immoral like that. Um, you know, those are cases you don't forgive. And it's just kind of like, okay, so if flesh and blood is like that, how much more with Hashem? So are we re are we feeling remorse? Do we have a sincere desire, you know, to not repeat our misdeeds? And do we... Do we uh, continue to harass Hashem or will we refrain from doing that? Like, your word is too hard for me. I'm so glad it's done away with or that's old and I'm on with the new and all this kind of stuff. And thank you, Yeshua, for freeing me from the wrath of God. Now I can do what I want. Like any of that stuff, if that's in your heart, you got to get rid of it. You know, I got to get rid of it because sometimes I think like that because this is why we sin. We think. Hashem is okay with what we're choosing to do. And it's just like, how do we get so disconnected from ourselves at that moment? Well, the sages say the only way you can sin is if a spirit of folly overcomes you. So we got to work on guarding ourselves from the spirit of folly and uh, rebuke it. Get out, you foul spirit. Okay. Anyway, uh, that was me joking. Okay. But I mean, we really do need to rebuke it and say, get out. But, you know, we don't have to go like that with it. So just a few notes here that I took on my uh, Zom Gedalia study. I did get to partake of that fast and it was very beautiful because when you talk about Zom Gedalia, there's basically this picture of someone who was left in charge to be leader. He was actually of the of the house of David. So he was a rightful king over the Jews. Uh, this is at the beginning of the Babylonian exile. And so the king or one of the Babylonian commanders placed Gedaliah in charge of the remnant of Jews that were left in Israel. And so because of this, there was still allowed to be a remnant left over. And because of this, Israel didn't completely lose the land. However, when Gedaliah got assassinated, then it was like it was all over. This is when all those other nations came in, uh, Samaria being one of them, which is the mixture and the half breeds of Jewish and all other people. And this is when the whole Lion King story happened uh, from, I think it's Chronicles or Kings. But there were people who were living in the land and they were like really doing not Torah stuff. And Hashem was like, fine, lions, tigers, sick, sick them. And like they all came in and started mauling people and everybody was like, what is going on? I think we're disrespecting the land or something. And then they realized they had to do Torah or they were going to be lion uh, tiger food. And it was just kind of like, OK. So anyway, that's how that's a little extra background on that. So Babylon, you know, stirred the pot, so to speak, in the land after this Gedalia guy passed away. So this is a. One of the points that I really latched on to because I was like, wait, wait, I know it's a crazy account, but for the sake of the concept of why is this such a, a thing to, to make us stop during this time of the 10 days is because there was a leader set up in place. Though we may not have been appreciative of it and it may not have been all protocol proper, but we're like in exile. It's our fault. 
Gedalia being in his position is some form of repair that we're allowed to hold on to. But yet we wipe that out and we end up losing any kind of repair. And now we're scattered completely. Like we no longer have a little bit of thriving in the land. Now we're just completely out. And then furthermore, Gedalia himself, this is another concept that I kind of latched on to, is that he was warned there are some people who've already been exiled and they're from other nations now. They're going to come in and they want to kill you. And Gedalia's like, no, they're not going to kill me. I need to judge favorably. These people, they just don't know what they know. And man, you know what? I just need to invite them to dinner. You know, I can do some turning the other cheek stuff and I can just, you know, love my enemies, you know. And this is why it's important. There's a way to turn your cheek. There's a way to love your enemies. There's a way to judge favorably. If your life is in danger, then you switch up the protocol a little bit because if someone is going to kill you, you don't invite them over for dinner. Even if it's a rumor, even if it's something that's false, you got to have a better system in place to sort that out. You don't want a security breach in that kind of situation. Okay. So anyway, Gedalia didn't do that. And he was just like, you know what? I'm going to invite them over for Rosh Hashanah dinner. Literally, the guy was killed at his Rosh Hashanah Shabbat table because he invited the very people he was warned that want to kill him while they're dipping apples in challah, you know, in the honey and having their Seder. He gets he gets assassinated. And I'm like, you know what? I'll definitely fast for that because this is the understanding that we need to implement in our lives. And I want to implement this in my life because I love everybody. And I want to see everybody win. I want to see I want to see love win in the end. You know, like I don't want anyone to go to Gehenna. I don't want anyone to perish. I don't want anyone to forsake Hashem and reject Torah and all this kind of stuff. I don't want anybody to not convert. Like, please convert, get Torah, get Yeshua, get Hashem, get Mikvah, you know, get circumcised, you know, how to fight down Breed if you're already circumcised and you have not entered into covenant, you know, all that good stuff. Enter into a hoopah, you know, and, and get you some kind of thing like. So, yeah. So but it was just kind of like, but you have to understand there are just some people who won't. And at the end of it all, even those people who won't embrace the covenant, come in and all that, as I just previously mentioned, they're still going to bow before Hashem. And it's just kind of like, yeah, but I really wish they could have been bowing as sons and daughters, you know. And that's my heart. And so, but at the same time, I got to, got to mold my heart because my heart's wicked and deceitful. You know, it's kind of like you got to have balance. And so, you know, fasting for that. The other thing too, is just the, the baseless hatred that ensued from this, because that group of people spent the 10 days just going through wreaking havoc in the land, just killing people. So obviously we're not supposed to murder, which stems from hatred, which stems from grudges and like just, you know, all sorts of bad thoughts about your brother and your neighbor. Uh, so, yeah, the 10 days of Teshuvah ended up being the 10 days of killing. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of blood here. And I, I kept joking with Rabbi Griffin, Captain Israel, that, you know, about that drosh that he gave come on on Rosh Hashanah about the Akedah and it was just like you know it's all about trying to get death out of the world you know the Akedah tikkuning for you know the sin of Adam like that would have been the second Adam right there you know had Yitzhak been offered but the only problem was he wasn't divine so there was a problem there because salvation is not found in any man so there's that and I also brought up the tikkun of Adam was supposed to happen with the high priest, which was Aharon. But again, Aharon wasn't divine. So there's that. So we need someone who's divine, who can be the second Adam, the great high priest to tikkun all mankind. Has to be that one man who can make teshuva that can save the whole world. Because Rosh Hashanah, that tractate brings down in the Talmud that one man's teshuva can save the whole world. So, you know, someone needs to be a man, but not just a man. And then, you know, they have to make teshuva 
And their teshuva has to be good enough to save the whole world. So now that completely rules out man because, you know, you have to die in order to make that level of teshuva. Because what if you've desecrated Hashem's name, which takes death, by the way. But anyway, I digress a lot, but I just wanted to bring down that, you know, this fast is all to be a inspiration to get death out of the world. And I was like, yep, let me focus on that, too. You know, and how do you do that? How do you get death out of the world? You cleave and attach yourself to the one who did that, who began that process. And then I have to get imbued with that. And put that out, you know, and we all as Yehudim who follow Mashiach, we have to do that. Carrying the torch of the peed is getting death out of the world, giving people the knowledge, wisdom and understanding of the word of God, being filled with the spirit of God, bringing them into covenant with God. That gets death out of the world. Mashiach, when he returns, will finalize that process because the dead who are raised and those of us who are changed and pop into our light bodies, as some Yehudim say, i.e. being changed in the twinkling of an eye, as Shaul Hashliach writes, you know, uh, that's the process where it's complete. But until then, we're all in the oven and we're cooking. Maybe I shouldn't say oven. Uh, we're all in process. There we go. That's better. I was thinking of challah again. So, you know, put the challah in the oven, let it bake, and then you can bring it out. It's ready. It's made. It's hot bread. You know, let's say a bracha so I can dip it in honey. Anyway, I don't like challah that much. Did I did I mention that? Uh, anyway, so this is me being very, very crazy. But anyway, so joy-filled studying Torah. It's beautiful. Thank you for being here with me. 5780 coming at you. All right. So another thing about that, too, is that, you know, Gedalia, his name literally has Gadol, Gadol and Yah, like literally the name of Hashem. So the greatness of Hashem preserve a remnant, you know, during the exile. And that greatness of Hashem was snuffed out and therefore the remnant was scattered. So the remnant was not able to be preserved in the land, but the remnant is actually able to be preserved scattered. And this only happened because the greatness of Hashem was assassinated. And you think about Mashiach when he says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. And then you think about what happened, like the diaspora literally is recorded in the writings of Acts, where the stoning of Stephen who was considered a great one. Really, if you look at it, Stephen was like, he saw heaven open up and he got to see a vision of Mashiach, like in the clouds. And it was just kind of like, okay, this guy, you know, and that caused the great scattering, you know, and everything been all split up and stuff. So, you know, there's just a prophetic picture there. And I was just kind of like, wow, like this is amazing. So, you know, yes, Lapid were very scattered, but, you know, that's going to make Mashiach's job actually fit his description because it says he's going to gather us in. So how are you going to gather in something if it's not scattered, right? But anyway, moths to a flame. Another thing I got here, it says that, you know, you can study the 10 chapters of Hilkot Shuva from Ramban with a mem, Rambam, or also known as Maimonides. And you can also study the third part of the Tanya. There's a whole section about Shuva in there. Um, during these 10 days, this is all now codified from Rabbi Dubinsky. Got to listen to him. It was a really, really sweet uh, shur. And it says, uh, Shuva is more beautiful. It's accepted immediately during the Aseret Yamim Shuva, the 10 days of repentance. So our Teshuva is the most pretty i'm just gonna make it way down the most pretty during these 10 days so as much shuva as we can do as much purging ourselves, as much crying out as much voicing to hashem you know things that are just wrong writing stuff down and confessing it out loud and ripping it up or burning it or whatever we can safely do with it this is the most beautiful time for that and it says, why is Yom Kippur after Rosh Hashanah? You would think, let's get rid of our sins and then crown the king. 
Well, homeboy brings up, well, if you really look at it, we do this all the time because we do the Vadui and the Taknun after we do the Shimoni Esrei, which is the Amidah, and that's the height of our prayers, and that's when we're closest to Hashem. And it's like, after we've been so close to Hashem, now we're going to back up a little bit and confess our sins. And it's just like, wait, what? You know, and so it's the same thing with these 10 days that, you know, Bezrat Hashem, we crowned Hashem as king during Rosh Hashanah. And then we follow that up with fasting and shuva. And it's just kind of like, okay, that's interesting. And so I love that concept. And then it says the kapara, which is the word for atonement, on Yom Kippur is linked to the result of the coronation that happened on Rosh Hashanah. Did you make yourself one with those shofar blasts? And did you make yourself one with the proclamations of Hashem being king? And are you continuing to do so with those proclamations and remembering those shofar blasts? Because during the Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we have special prayers that we say in the Amidah that speaks specifically of Hashem's kingship. And if we're doing any form of the, of the Shlikot, the penitential prayers, or if we're studying Teshuvah, listening to lectures and things like that on it and really taking note of these things and really transforming in that manner, then it's just like, OK, so the result of you doing this is going to lead to atonement on Yom Kippur, which will take you back to the Mokzor's introduction that says this is a confident and joyful day about celebrating the mercy and forgiveness of Hashem. OK, then it also goes on to say. Um, when a king, so he brought down this little mashal, which is a parable. Mashalim is parables. So, um, says this human king of flesh and blood, when he, he became king and he wanted to pardon criminals who were deserving of punishment. And he, he brought that parable down and he said, so if this is the way for a human king, then how much more for, uh, for Hashem? And it's just like, Wow. And then it got super deep because he said the inner will and pleasure, which is the penimiut and the ta'anug of Hashem. Okay, so when he becomes king, that is revealed. So like it's circumcision at its finest when you really think about it. The removal of something that's such a barrier, something that is such like that hides, you know, righteousness, if you will, like that's removed and taken away, you know, like the veil that Shaul Hashliach writes to Corinth and he says the veil is taken away. So that's removed and Hashem's inner will and pleasure is revealed. And therefore there are no sins because in this most inner close hidden place of Hashem sins are not found there if you want to get Kabbalistic about it this is the upper levels of Keter which is beyond time and space and creation and all of that sin is not allowed in the presence of Hashem and so this presence is being revealed during this time and so the more sin we bring up it's like you bring it out and it's, it's thrown away you know like uh, if you're in the batting cage Got the little uh, baseballs coming down the chute, you know, and it's like, and then the pitcher right there, which is Hashem, knocking it out of the park. He's like, oh, that's a sin. Get that out of here. Oh, that's a sin. Oh, you want to get done with that? Oh, you changing? Okay, you got it. Okay. Like, you're just crushing it, you know? So, anyway, or you can be like tennis player, same thing. They have a little ball shooter there. Uh, so, anyway, that's the, kind of the picture. Also, we need to know our inner soul and desire becomes revealed during this time. So this is the whole reason why we wear white on Yom Kippur and not on Rosh Hashanah. We have a little bit of white on Rosh Hashanah, but it's all white on Yom Kippur because we covered all over. We're like, OK, Hashem, we are there. We've been literally born again because just like the Ten Commandments, just like the Ten Utterances of Creation, just like the Ten wrote. I'm in, you know, like I've been built up in my most holy faith, if you will. Yehuda, by the way, which is the letter of Jude, uh, he wrote about that being built up in your most holy faith. That's a picture of the 10 days. 
Uh, so read the letter of Jude. That's the one right before Revelation. Jude's name, if you translate it into Hebrew, or should I say Jude is translated from the Hebrew name Yehuda. So get you some of that. And then it goes on to say that your Torah, your davening, your Zadaka, your Shuva, and your Torah learning Basimka. On, this is Teshuvah on its highest level. And, you know, like this is this is what the essence of this time is. So when you're doing that, you're changing your opinion of Hashem. And this is true Teshuvah. So really quick with the time I got left, I'm going to uh, kind of go through this real quick. Um, here's a little drop from Rosh Hashanah 18a says the penitent who confesses publicly is praiseworthy and is commendable for him to let the public know his iniquities and to reveal the sins between himself and his neighbors to others, saying to them, truly, I have sinned against that man and I have wronged him thus and such. But behold, I this day I repent and am remorseful. OK, so that's that's praiseworthy. That's commendable. And it says, but. He who is arrogant and reveals not, but covers up his sin is not a wholehearted penitent. This is what is written in Proverbs 28, 13. He that covers his sins shall not prosper. But that is saying solely concerning his sins between man and man, but sins between man and God, the penitent need not make public. Okay, so there's an aspect of man to man. You know, between human being to human being, you can do that public. That's commendable, but you don't have to. And the sins between you and God, you don't need to make them public. And then it says, on the contrary, back to the topic here, it would be impudent of him to reveal them. Okay, so it would be impudent if you revealed them. So real quick on that. Let's go a little deeper into that topic real quick. Uh, if we're going to be impudent, this is not showing due respect for another person. And uh, contemptuous or cockiness or boldness or disregard of others. Insolence, lacking modesty. So if you really want to get, you know, like, oh, I want to announce my sins publicly to everybody that I did to Hashem. It's just like, okay, that's not called for. This is why uh, if you listen to any lecture, it's talking about like, especially Rabbi Griffin, you know, Captain Israel holding it down. He was just saying, you know, you don't have to confess this out loud to another person. You can confess it to Hashem and you're good to go. Like you, you, do you mean it? It's wholehearted repentance. Okay, good. You know, like get that out. Take care of it. You know, anyway, so that's there. That's Rosh Hashanah 18a. Uh, another drop here. It says, um, let's see. Just kind of going through Rosh Hashanah 18a. Oh, uh, check this out. So the Mishnah says on Rosh Hashanah, all creatures pass before him like Bene Maron. The Gemara asks, what is the meaning of B'nai Maron? Maron, Slika, Maron. The Gemara answers here in Babylonia, they interpret it to mean like a flock of sheep. Rachel Lakis disagreed. Uh-oh, we got a disagreement. And said, like the ascent of Beit Maron, which was a very, which was very steep. One standing at the summit could discern all those climbing the mountain with a single look. Rabbi Yehuda. Oh, here we go. We got a third opinion. It says like the soldiers of the house of King David who could be surveyed with a single glance. So the the, the thing of this is all these are actually right because they all do uh, homiletics which are basically puns of Hebrew interpretation of B'nai Maron. And like a flock of sheep is Kivne Imrana. And then you got Beit 
Maron instead of Benet because children are part of a house. And then you got like soldiers. And then uh, so there's all the Hebrew there on that. Uh, for sake of time, I'm not really going into it. I just want to point out, you see how all these different opinions and arguments happen in Talmud. And the only reason we have these arguments, by the way, is because they're for the sake of heaven. And any argument for the sake of heaven, the sages say, that's the only argument that endures. And that's the only argument that really builds up. Because they're not trying to tear each other down. Because of their argument, we're actually getting more information. So that's the best way to argue. So if you want to disagree with someone who brings down a Torah point, make sure that it's bringing out more life and not death. Okay? And so this is why we have the tag concept as Avengers. You'll notice on the Haftarah podcast with myself and Hasis, he'll say something, he's going another way, and I'll tag, and I'll say something else that was going a completely different way. But it's not to tear down or disregard anything that he said. And when he does, likewise, it's not to tear down or disagree with anything I said. It's all to bring about more revelation. And sometimes you got to clash those rocks together to get some sparks. And it's not a clashing that's angry, but it's a clashing that's joyous. Uh, so, yeah, it's beautiful. And may we all be able to do this. Okay. And I just love that, like the soldiers of the house of the King David, because I always love the fact of the army, the Avengers, you know, the the army of God, you know, the army of the Lord, you know, going forth, light bearers. Okay. So the last thing I want to say, the Rebbe once shared a powerful teaching that spoke directly to his lifelong dream of the redemption. You know, this is probably why a lot of people probably believed in Menachem Schneerson as the Mashiach, because all he did was spoke about redemption. And that's what we've all wanted. So among many things, this is probably a big, big indicator. Hey, this guy's probably Mashiach, you know. And obviously, there are people who do believe he's Mashiach, and there's people who don't. And that's neither here nor there, but I just want to point out that this is the one I'm talking about, Rebbe Menachem Schneerson. And it says, uh, in it, he applied the idea that joy breaks down all barriers to overcoming the ultimate obstacle of thousands of years of Jewish exile as well as removing all barriers still preventing Mashiach's imminent arrival. So in the words of Star Trek, I believe, I don't want to get this wrong, but we're in the final frontier. And this is space. This is taking it to the cosmos. It's Torah Bay Simka. And through this Torah Bay Simka, we shall bring the final redemption. So... What does that mean? We have to be as joyous as we possibly can be, not mechanically, but authentically joyous. So we need to find these areas of Torah that really spark us and that really light us up. You're probably not surprised, but for me, that's Gematria and that is definitely the numbers. Well, Gematria is numbers. But all of that. That's like my favorite thing. And I love just digging into all of that. For some of you, it's probably the Midrash. I love a good Midrash. Just hit me up with that, even if I've heard it before. I want to hear it again. I can't get enough of that stuff. Even the crazy out there, agotic stories, you know, like what happened to Moshe on his way to Mitzrayim, where there was a serpent that came and devoured him halfway down. And Zipporah understood what that meant. So she circumcised her son, the snake spit Moshe back out. And then it was like, okay, I don't, that was weird. And it's like, well, circumcise your son next time. And you won't get attacked by snakes. Anyway. So <laughs> that was a cliff nose version of a little agotic story that's brought down about what happened to Moshe and his family on the way to Egypt to bring the final redemption or to bring the first redemption, should I say? Okay. But anyway, so, uh, for some of you, it's going to be the Mishnah. You're going to love Halakha. You're going to love all of the mean hog and studying the code of law and things like that. And that's beautiful. Some of you, you're going to be like straight, just give me straight Torah. You know, I want Peshat. I want Rashi, you know, just small commentary, but I just want to read these verses. I want to link everything together. That's legit. Okay. Just don't, don't overlook that. That is like, 
you know how they say the best basketball player is one who's really strong in the fundamentals like you know michael jordan back in his prime that's what that's like okay if you can push shot level minimal commentary from the tanakh you know link some stuff up and bring a drop kick drosh i mean forget about it you can throw midrash or buy and all that all day but if you just got oh i just got my tanakh and my humash like watch out like that's dangerous <laughs> okay so anyway uh so just an encouragement on that but whatever your area is those are just a few there are way many more and if you don't know you can ask me you can ask rabbi you know you can ask the zakanim ask some of the other avengers we can hook you up but we need to be a force of torah based simka in the world so 5780 with the help of Hashem and in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, let us bring the final redemption to the point where Yeshua was like, hold up. Y'all supposed to be waiting on me. And it was like we were, but we were just a little busy. We got a little excited. And so that's the way we're supposed to experience the final redemption because we don't wait on Yeshua by sitting around or looking up to the sky or predicting dates. We wait on Yeshua by getting at it getting our hands to the plow in the field of the harvest so when we hear that shofar sounds we're like er, wait what what's happening you know you like and we look and it's like Yeshua's like hey what y'all doing it's like oh we're just making converts joyfully you know so that's how it's supposed to be so baruch abab ishem adonai harakaman hu yezekinu limot hamashiach ulchaye haolam haba Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam nata betokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. May it be the will of Adonai that we're inscribed and sealed in the book of life and for a good year. Amen.